Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. In today's episode, I'm chatting to Ryan Chartrand, CEO of X-Team, to dive into his experiences, lessons and advice on building high-performing remote developer teams. He talks with us about the challenges as well as the benefits, what managers need to do differently to keep remote teams engaged, and how you can successfully build culture along with more intentional connections. Before we start, I want to thank all of you listeners out there. If you have a topic or a person you'd love to hear on the show, please send us an email at connectedandready at microsoft.com. We're so thankful for you all. Now, on with the episode. Ryan, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show today. First of all, let's start with some introductions. Tell us who you are, what you do, and what you've been working on of late. Yeah, so I'm Ryan Chartrand. I'm CEO of X-Team, and we provide you know the world's leading brands with high-performing, on-demand teams of developers. And so for the past 15 years, really, we've been hard at work helping some pretty incredible businesses grow very rapidly. Companies like you know Coinbase, who just went public, we've been involved with them for a very long time. Twitter, uh, we were there from the very start with them, actually. Riot Games, uh, a huge gaming company, Fox Broadcasting, Beachbody, Sony, and I mean, the list goes on. So a lot of my focus over that time has been on actually building sort of the most loved brand for developers and engineers um, so that we're able to attract the best and the brightest in the market around the world. So that's kind of my focus. Amazing. And of course, you're going to be a great person to speak to considering you've been working with the concept and the idea and the reality of remote teams for a long time. And of course, everybody has been experiencing that or not everybody, of course, people who can and the types of jobs that we have been experiencing remote work over the course of the pandemic. So let's hear all about that from you. So let's rewind back a little bit, though. When did you first realize that 100% remote developer teams or even partially remote teams could work? When did you kind of realize that this is a model that could possibly even be better than more traditional models? Yeah. And I like that you mentioned the past year, because that is not the remote work that we are used to. What we've experienced in the last year is not the remote work that we would define as remote work. We would call that work from home during the pandemic, which is a completely different thing and a completely different challenge in itself. Let's build on that. What is the difference then between what you would call remote work and what you would call the last year? Why is that sort of such a distinction for you? You know, it's funny, us in the remote work movement, if you want to call it that, have really been cautious about talking about this topic of last year because this wasn't the sort of big arrival that we were hoping it would be. We thought it was going to be a a much more positive experience. And obviously, some companies have had a very positive experience, but you have a lot of companies and, you know, the the articles pop up every day saying it's video meeting burnout, it's constant meetings all day, it's isolation, it's juggling the kids at home. It's just this overall lack of humanity and and there's no way to build culture anymore. And, uh, you know, relationships are, are, are struggling because of it. Uh, And it's just unproductive. And that's not the remote work that we are used to because, again, when you have the ability to actually leave the home, for example, and be able to, you know, go to a co-working space if you're feeling isolated or to actually bring your team together 
three times a year or, or more, however many times you feel is necessary, and rebuild empathy and, and rebuild those personal relationships. And so there's just a very big difference between what we're able to do and how we're able to solve a lot of the challenges that remote presents, communication, empathy, etc. All of that is a lot easier when we have more flexibility. And that's the thing. Remote is all about flexibility. That was the entire purpose. It came to exist, was to create more freedom in the way that people work. And what we have the last year is the complete opposite of freedom. It's been, you must stay in your home and you cannot use or capitalize on any of the mental health benefits that come from remote work. And so it's been a very different year for us and the whole world. So then let's go back to my original question then. What was it then that really, I guess, convinced you that remote work in its proper sense, shall we say, as opposed to what's been happening over the last year, is the best thing to be doing for particular types of work or for particular kinds of people? Was it you experiencing yourself? Was it seeing a team in action? Was it a particular cultural moment? Rewind the clock back and tell us a little bit about when you were convinced and what it was that made you want to really be a big part of building this and being a part of the movement. Yeah, there were probably a few moments in my life And I say life, not career, because it goes back to when I was 12 years old and running home from school every day to go be a part of various global communities, primarily in the gaming space. And that sort of experience really impacted me as a child. It made me, you know, most of my friends were from around the world. And that was, that's just kind of how I grew up, was with this assumption that you use the internet to create these amazing experiences with people from around the world. And that's always been embedded in me. But then I went off to work eventually and lived the office life for a long time. And eventually I remember working with a remote company and being with them uh, in a a town in Portugal and just (laughs) feeling that, that sense of, wow, here we are in this tiny little town in Portugal. And, you know, being completely productive, working together, making amazing things happen, why is this not the default? And so that was what really got me into this remote work movement and pushing it forward. So that's sort of the basis for my inspiration. But, you know, the thing about providing development teams specifically is that there was a really big missed opportunity in hiring developers from around the world. For so long, it's been just hire the people locally in the city that you live in. And that's so incredibly limiting in terms of the way that you build your team and, and the way that you you know set up something like DevOps. You want DevOps to be a 24-hour support thing, and, and you can't do that if you just have people in one location. So we found the ability to scale quickly becomes a lot easier when you have that global talent pool at your fingertips and that ability to, to attract them very quickly. And so that was a challenge that a lot of these companies we were working with, you know, Threadless, uh, Twitter in the early days, Microsoft even at one point, and helping them scale rapidly came from that ability to be able to tap into a, a bigger market. So let's let's stick with the positives then for a moment. And we're going to get to some of the challenges and how companies can kind of manage this and, and I guess realize the potential of remote work to some degree. But tell us a little bit about what you found to be the biggest benefits with remote work, both personally and with the teams you manage or you set up for companies that you work with. What's been sort of reported both from the individual level and the company level? You mentioned DevOps, but more broadly, tell us a little about these benefits. Yeah, so from a personal standpoint, I think 
you know, again, when it's not work from home pandemic, the personal benefits become very clear very quickly. You know, for example, my wife and I for five years traveled the world. I think 15 countries we lived and worked from. And that was an incredibly energizing experience. And to have that stimulation of a new experience all the time is incredibly powerful on your motivation, on your energy, on your momentum. So that's a huge thing. Obviously, the same thing with stability. You know, now my wife and I live a very stable life and we love that too. And so it's that freedom to be able to live the life you want at any given time that's going to give you the right frame of mind that you need for the type of work that you're doing at that time in your life. And so the mental health benefit is just massive. And so kind of stretching back then, I guess, to the company benefits, you take that experience and you multiply it by you know, hundreds and thousands of people. You just have all of this energy and momentum going on. And it all just stems from that mental health boost, from that productivity boost that you're able to get from that, from not being stuck in meetings all day, despite what the last year has been like. That's really not the default if you're doing remote work well. I think another big benefit from the company standpoint is just clarity. The cool thing about remote work is because you don't have that ability to just walk by desks every morning and kind of quickly check in on things, there's not always a lot of clarity. And so it forces you to be very intentional about being very clear around expectations, around documenting your processes, around just making everything super clear so everyone can always be on the same page at the same time. And it really forces you to do that, which is a huge benefit. And it makes things like onboarding really fast as well, because everything's always documented, always up to date, because you're forced to do it. And yeah, I'm trying to think of some other things. Leveraging time zones, obviously, is a big one. I mentioned DevOps again there. And obviously, there's cost benefits. I think a lot of companies are seeing that this past year, not paying that office bill, that air conditioning bill, especially here in Arizona. And the cost benefits can be massive as well. Dynamics 365 is helping businesses of all sizes unify their data and create a digital-first culture. With next-generation ERP and CRM business applications, employees at every level can reason over data, predict trends, and make proactive, more informed decisions. Request a live demo of Dynamics 365 today by following the link in the episode description. So tell us then from your experience, both doing it yourself, but also building these teams or helping to build these teams and implementing these teams with clients. I'm sure you will both feel it personally, but also feel the feedback from those teams you're building and from the clients that you're working with. Some of those challenges or lessons that you've experienced with remote teams. What would you say are some of the common missteps or things that are made particularly difficult by the nature of remote or perhaps things that managers get wrong in the setup or the running of remote that can make those challenges exacerbated. Yeah. And I mentioned one of them just earlier, not setting expectations, right? If you look back at the past year, a lot of the companies that have been struggling, it's because their managers have finally been forced to really set super clear expectations with their teams. And when you actually have clear expectations, And again, the reason that you need to do that is because you're expecting some form of output. Everything else strips away when you're in a remote setup. All of the office politics, there's no water cooler, there's no, um, you know, strolling by people's desks and wasting time and any of that kind of stuff. It's all about output. And so all that you as a manager care about when you wake up every day is what can I see that's been done? And they get very frustrated because they're not seeing necessarily what they want to see. And it's because they're not setting clear expectations. And so that is a huge one that you have to force yourself to learn how to do and get super clear with people and do whatever it takes to find that clarity. 
I think another big misstep is meetings. You know, we've been talking about how people are seeing remote work now as constant meetings. There's some pretty funny TikToks out there about that as well. But meetings are supposed to be something we escalate to. They're not supposed to be the default way we communicate in a remote work setup. It's all about asynchronous communication, right? So it's saying, hey, look, we're going to exhaust every option possible to collaborate and work on this task together. We're going to work in teams. We're going to work in email, whatever it might be. There's so many collaboration tools now. And if we still cannot get to a decision or we still cannot finish this task together or we still cannot reach an agreement on something, then we escalate to the meeting. And that's sort of the, the main use for meetings. It shouldn't be that every day it's just check-in, 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 meeting, meeting, meeting. Uh, you want that, of course, to build empathy and, and have that ongoing relationship building. But it should not be sort of this frequent thing that you're doing. It should be something you escalate toward, especially if something like creative work. You might escalate it to it immediately because you just can't kind of get it done over a chat box. And there's just so many missteps. I could talk all day about them. Time tracking, for example, and recording people's screens and thinking that that is the best way to figure out metrics or understand if someone's being productive. Uh, here's the last one I'll give you, though, my f and probably my favorite, which is not using enough emotion in the way you communicate over text. I think this is something that puts a lot of fear into employees. If you are only communicating to them without emojis, for example, and you're just saying, you know, they'll say, hey, can I do this? Uh, does this all look good? And all you write back is, sure. Mm. <laughs> and they're just, oh my gosh, does my manager hate me? Is, is he not pleased with what I'm doing? I have no idea. And then you just sit at home all day, sitting in fear and thinking the worst, when all they had to do was add a little emoji to that, uh, that shows that, hey, I'm on your team. This all sounds great. Thank you for all you're doing. And that's uh, one little emoji can, can go a very far way. And so learning how to do good text-based remote work writing is a huge thing to learn as well. I want to build on that little point you, there you said about emotions. I think that's really interesting. And particularly from a cultural standpoint, because you also said that one of the great things about remote teams and being able to kind of make the most of time zones and whatnot, of course, then requires hiring globally. Um, and, and, you know, obviously there's so many huge benefits with building these diverse in terms of nationality teams. But, you know, I work with people from all over the world. In the UK, we are very apologetic and we're very, you know, is it okay if, if I do this? And thanks so much. We're kind of overly, uh, I suppose, emotive in, in the way that we email, whereas other cultures, not so much. And we are constantly sitting in panic that somebody hates us because they sent a one word email in response. So how, how do you, um, you know, is this something you talk to clients about, for instance, when they're implementing teams, this kind of importance of both appreciating different cultures, but then managing uh, the emotions of the team and, and also then educating the team on, you know, this is a reality of working with people from all over the world. How do you kind of deal with that, that pushback and that difficulty? That is absolutely a challenge and at the same time, in many ways, a positive, you know, getting to have such a diverse group of people makes it so you can do some pretty amazing things. The cool thing about our model is actually that, you know, if I'm a developer working at a company today, there's no one sort of who is fighting for me other than hopefully my manager. And if my manager isn't fighting for me, I'm on my own. And the cool thing about our model is that if they ever feel like they're not getting that respect or emotion that they're looking for, we're able to step in and work with our partners and mentor them on remote work if they don't quite know how to do it yet. 
and be that middleman there to help navigate that and, and lead those relationships. So that's been a really cool thing to be able to create incredible relationships as well as help these companies that are trying to rapidly scale also learn how to do uh, a lot of these remote strategies and build great teams. But yeah, the, the cultural thing is very interesting. I've definitely experienced that with uh, some UK folks as well. And you know, you pick any country around the world and there's some little cultural thing that you're going to have to adapt to or they're going to have to adapt to you. It's kind of a meeting in the middle. Uh, and again, this is where expectations come in. It should never have to be, well, we let this person you know, be a jerk to everyone because he's from that country and that's just their culture. No, you have to still set the expectations of what your team's process, what your team's culture, what your team's values are and actually enforce them regularly and make sure everyone's meeting in the middle around the vision you're trying to push forward. It'd be great to maybe get an example from either your personal experience or perhaps hearing about it from people that you're working with in X team or from clients or so on and so forth. A time that you made one of those missteps that we've been talking about, whether it was not managing expectations well or not getting that sort of culture right, whatever that means. How did you work out that things weren't quite right with your team or with an individual on the team? And how did you, um, I guess, then work to resolve it? Because I think that's a difficult question of like, how can managers make sure they're keeping on top and making sure that they're not missing when things are going wrong too, right? Absolutely. So we had uh, a team member who sort of driving some toxicity within the business. And the thing about a fully remote environment is that toxicity takes a much bigger toll on people than it does even in a physical environment. And let me explain why. In a physical environment, you at least have pockets within the office. You know, maybe you can even move your desk and you'll be in a better place surrounded by some more positive people. In a remote environment, if there's a toxic situation going on, you have nothing but the four walls around you alone by yourself and especially in the past year, and you have to sort of wallow in that toxicity and it will just keep seeping into your mind because there is no sort of positive energy around you. Obviously, we can combat this with things like co-working spaces or going to a cafe and, and trying to shake that off, but it's still a huge struggle. And so toxicity is something we have learned needs to be dealt with absolutely immediately. It's not something you want to linger as long as you might let it linger in an office. Obviously, you don't want it to linger in an office either, but you really need to be immediately on top of it in a remote environment because even though you're just working from chat boxes, it permeates your soul so much faster and so much deeper because of this incredible amount of uncertainty. You can't see people's faces. You don't know what the actual temperature of the room is. And you don't know what to think other than keep rethinking about that toxicity. And so uh, we had that situation with a team member. We let it go on uh, definitely longer than, than ideal, uh, but you know, found a, a great way to move past that and resolve that situation, let that person go, give them a lot of good support as we let them go, but making sure that we continue to enforce and prioritize, making sure that kind of behavior just never makes any sort of appearance in our company. Thinking about it from the manager's perspective, you mentioned earlier that particularly with the pandemic, a lot of managers have sort of been forced into a position of having to kind of rethink what it really means to be a manager and how to manage more effectively or effectively specifically for the situation that we're all in. So what do you think managers can do differently in terms of making sure their remote team is as effective and as valuable as possible, specifically thinking about 
reflecting perhaps on their own skills or their own ways of doing things or their own experience as a manager, what would you say your sort of tips and tricks for managers would be? Yeah, so I think if I were to hone in on one thing that remote work helps amplify in terms of training you as a leader, as a manager, let's say, and if you can get this one skill down, it unlocks everything else that you need as a manager to be great. And that one skill is empathy. I know I've brought it up a lot because it's something I talk about all the time and it's the most important piece of any remote team. But the thing that is very easy to not pay attention to is empathy because when the majority of your communication is over text, when the majority of your communication is not focused on seeing people's faces and, and feeling their reactions and understanding how they're doing and understanding why they might not have finished that PR today, you have to start with empathy always because it's impossible to know what's going on in their life. Especially for us, we have people in 65 countries around the world. Can you imagine trying to keep track of what's happening in every single country? You know, we have people in Brazil, for example, and we try to keep on top of the COVID situation there, but it keeps escalating. And so if someone doesn't show up to work, if someone goes MIA for a day, we can't instantly assume, oh, that person needs to be fired. No, we need to start with empathy. Let's start with this fact that we have absolutely no idea what's going on in their life right now because we can't even see them. And let's start from there. Let's learn what's going on and go from there. You know, I just learned about someone on our team who lost his wife and his brother. And, you know, the impact obviously had an impact on his productivity, but we didn't know that, that that was sort of the reason there. But we went into it with, hey, let's not assume this guy who's been a fantastic developer for a long time for us. Let's not assume that he's just decided to become unproductive. Let's start with empathy and figure out what's going on here in his life. And so I think managers, the second that they don't have that constant anxiety and stress around, oh, I can't stand that my people aren't getting things done, start with empathy. Talk to those people individually. And once you actually start to learn what's going on in their lives and how you can support them and how you can reset expectations around what you need, you start to build a path toward actually knowing how to lead and manage people in a very powerful way. And again, then it's a domino effect. Then you start learning about how to set expectations properly. Then you start learning about how to properly check in with people, how to adapt to their way of working, how to help them make the right impact, how to help them get the right setup at their home, or how to maybe even mentor them around, hey, I noticed you know, you, you mentioned your, your kids are always bothering you. Okay, we, we can sponsor a co-working membership for you if you'd like that. You start to unlock everything when you don't start with any assumption that everyone's trying to be unproductive. Start with empathy. Amazing. I mean, I, I want to move on a little bit then to thinking about the technology and, and the processes to make this work. And obviously knowing technology is integral to being able to connect teams remotely. What kind of types of technology do you think are most critical, specifically for developers collaborating remotely? And also, would you say that the technology or the process they use to collaborate and connect is more important than other elements, per, you know, for instance, culture or the way expectations are set and so on and so forth? I certainly hope we don't get to a point where the tech is more important than the culture. But yeah, I mean, the, the beauty is the tech has come such a far way since when we started. And, you know, we, we actually built our own tools in the beginning because they just didn't exist. The beauty of the tech now is it's so modular. You can literally find any piece of a business that you need and just sort of plug it in. 
There's sort of a web app or a web service for just about anything now. The tech side is really covered. It's no longer a thing about, well, we can't go fully remote because we don't have this or we don't have that. It's all there now. And we've built our own tech as well over the years. Everything from recruiting software to payroll, uh, you know, our own social network, uh, our own games, our own radio station. I mean, you name it, we've sort of plugged in any missing pieces as well ourselves. And that's the cool thing about being a tech company. But to your point of, is the tech more important than the process? Because the tech is so ubiquitous now, it's not even something you have to think about. Process is something that you have to be very intentional about constantly every single day. It's probably one of the biggest remote challenges is getting people to follow process in a remote environment when you don't have your managers breathing down the necks, right? That's what everyone wants. And that's not a good way to lead people, obviously. But what we found is the way to make process work in this sort of setup is to just get very picky about the people you hire. Because uh, a lot of people just aren't sort of cut out for this sort of way of working, you know. They're, they're, or want it, doesn't fit in with what they want from life, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and building discipline or having proactiveness as a core part of who you are, it's just not everyone. And so if you don't have that sort of drive, you're just not going to be the best fit and, and there's probably a better company for you. And so process is super important, but if you're going to make process work in a remote environment, you have to have the right people in place. Let's talk about value, because I think this is a really interesting topic, certainly something I think about quite a lot in terms of what, what actually does value even mean, but not to get too philosophical, let's talk about what <laughs> does creating value mean for remote teams? You know, Do you think that the way that value is measured needs to change? And also, how would you even know if your remote teams are sort of truly productive or giving the client, for instance, that you're working with what it is that they're asking for and what they think value is? Yeah, value is, it has for me, I think, also become a bit philosophical because it's something I've thought about for a decade now and, and tried to nail down a good definition for it because I think the beauty of remote work is that you actually get to strip away all of the things that don't actually add up to value. Things that we thought used to be value. I, I remember when I worked in an office, there was this guy who would just office hop all day and he would go from one office to another just talking to people and rarely about anything productive but he was the most valuable person in the company for some reason according to you know all of your peers and so when you actually strip away all of that sort of politics and relationships and, and things like that what actually is value in an organization? And you look at companies now thinking that, well, the, the way that we're going to figure out value is, again, time tracking software. We're going to record everyone's monitors and make sure they're working. That will be value. But that's no different than the old butts in seats management style, which is, has nothing to do with productivity or results or anything. But I think for any remote manager listening right now or someone who's been forced in that position, I want you to sort of think in your mind about who the most valuable people on your team are. And I bet in those two seconds, you probably thought instantly of who it is because value today is blatantly obvious. In this sort of environment, value is very obvious because you don't even have to think about it. You don't ever see them in person, yet their value bubbles to your mind instantly because it's the people who are taking the weight off your shoulders, the people's hand you never have to hold, who you're never having to give tasks to because they have their own vision and they're driving it forward. These are your MVPs. Like it's very clear now what value is. Impact is very clear. 
And I'm sure the guy who office hops all day, probably not the most valuable person in his company anymore, but there's still metrics. You know, every company still has metrics. Sales teams still have sales figures. Recruitment teams still have roles to close. Devs still have team velocity and all that kind of stuff. There's still plenty of metrics we can lean on. But I think if managers are setting expectations properly now, then value becomes such a very clear thing in your mind when you think of the most valuable people on your team. When you're talking, I'm switching from one minute thinking what you're talking about is quite a radical answer to this sort of capitalistic, everything is about output, you know, and then on the other hand, being like, no, you are talking about output. And I don't know which side you sit on, right? Because it's <laughs> in one hand, you're thinking, well, if you're talking about value and remote work about getting tasks done, then you could be critical and say, well, isn't this just a way for companies to kind of offload all the other costs and things that they provide for people just in the name of productivity and of profit and so on and so forth? Particularly if the employees are not supported to be able to perhaps have a nice place to work in their own home or be able to afford to live the good life outside of work and so on and so forth. But on the other hand, you could argue that, well, cultural stuff inside the office and make work enjoyable is also really kind of not radical at all either and getting rid of all that to some degree kind of sounds like a world in which we're not prioritizing productivity of companies and putting companies first so where do you kind of sit in that kind of conversation and how do you think it kind of even the word productivity I feel very uncomfortable with nowadays so (laughs) you know how do you feel about all that? Like I said, the beauty is when you strip everything away to just output, I think the better word to be using is impact. If we think about output, that's lines of code, that's calls made today. Those are all great metrics to hopefully help you determine someone's value, sure. But when we think about impact, impact is something that is just blatantly obvious, like I said. It's something that we start to really start to see amplified when we strip everything else away. And that's why I say, if, if you're a remote manager right now, you can absolutely point to the people who are making the most impact you know, at the top of your mind because that impact becomes very obvious. So I'm definitely on the side of creating the most productive environment. That's really the whole goal. I, I never think about, oh, should we get an office? It's always start with the challenge. The challenge is how do we create an environment where people can do the best work of their careers? That's all I care about. If an office becomes part of that solution, fantastic. You know, we still meet up throughout the year. And that's an important part of what we do because we need that, I call them empathy injections, ways to rebuild our empathy for each other. And so productivity comes into play because you're trying to find this solution that's going to allow people to do the best work of their careers. And part of that is always going to be giving people that chance to make that impact that they're looking to make. And so if you create the environment that allows them to make impact, it becomes very obvious who is making that impact and who is not. So we hear that a lot of companies struggle to communicate or build culture remotely. And particularly when we're talking about this idea of if it's all about output versus, you know, you you could argue that the, the guy who does office hopping makes it a fun place to be, who knows? And also there's this argument around, you know, employees maybe feeling isolated and and all these sorts of things. So what can organizations do to ensure culture and the human connection is maintained? You know, what would you say is the sort of secret to success here? Do you have any tips for managers so that employees can really feel supported? Yeah, I think there's a few things to break down there. You mentioned isolation, for example. You mentioned building culture in a remote, fully digital environment. 
I always like to say that, you know, there's no excuse to say, well, you can't build culture online. Well, tell that to World of Warcraft. Tell that to online dating and people who are able to build relationships and get married. That's, I think, nonsense. The real thing is that it takes effort and it takes a lot of effort. And isolation, I think, is less of an issue when we don't have this work from home sort of pandemic situation going on. It's uh, sort of blown out of proportion at the moment. Mm. But what we do is, in order to keep people energized and having that sort of sense of, uh, you know, you mentioned office hopping guy. Sure, he's, he's definitely bringing value for those quick hits of socializing that you need. And we need to recreate that somehow, right? Or if we're saying that's important to people. And so keeping people energized is a word that we use a lot. And so what we do is make it so that there's absolutely no excuse other than your lack of action for feeling isolated, for feeling not energized. And so what we do is we sponsor pretty much whatever you need to help you get out, to get up, to get energized, to get surrounded by the people who energize you. We like to say we want to help you transform the world around you into the world you want it to be. And so whether that's sponsoring your gym membership, movie tickets, meetups, uh, a weekend getaway, maybe a, a babysitter to help with that or a pet sitter or if you want to go do adventure sports or even if you need some therapy to kind of take a step back or uh, sponsoring events. We actually had a guy that just uh, sponsored this big VR based event. So maybe it's not even physically taking yourself somewhere. Maybe you just need to sort of jack into this community that you can really feel a part of. And so we put out just an incredible amount of effort into building our online community of developers to make it something that if you open your laptop today and tune into it, we guarantee you will be energized by something. We have events going on every single month celebrating their passions. We have micro communities within the larger community. We call them houses like in Harry Potter, you know, so that you can be part of a smaller group of friends and go off and do competitions and things together. But there's always going to be this community there that people can sort of lean back on. And, you know, we're, we're one of the few companies that has game designers <laughs> that's within our sort of HR team, so to speak. We're at the point where we're putting so much time and effort into it that we want to make it the best possible experience that you can tap into whenever you need it. So there's absolutely no excuse for someone to ever feel lonely, to feel not energized, to not feel part of something bigger than themselves. And so again, no pandemic. This really is a much easier situation. But I think if you get very intentional and you put in the effort, you can build some amazing online experiences for people. You mentioned earlier about hiring for remote teams and the kind of types of people that are going to be great and enjoy this and thrive in these kind of roles and in these environments and at the same time bring that value that is much needed and wanted by the companies. So what are the skills the company should be looking for that will indicate that any individual developer will be successful in this remote team model? And is there anything that might indicate that someone might struggle in a more remote setting? There's a lot of things and it helps when you start actually with the people who I think struggle the most because it's really just the opposite of that in terms of the people you want to hire. So the people who are struggling are the ones who, it really comes down to proactiveness. People who, who need to be told what to do, who can't follow process like we talked about before, who can't build discipline, who can't self-motivate, who aren't able to take ownership of things and drive things on their own. I think they have the most struggle because they don't have that proactive bone in their body. And again, not everybody has it, and that's fine. There's a company for them out there, and there's a job for them out there. But this sort of work 
really needs forward-moving people. That's where our entire tagline of keep moving forward comes from because we've baked it into the core of our culture is that we are forward-moving people and that's why remote works for us. I think the other people who struggle are the ones coming from very strict corporate cultures. I think absolutely you can transition from any sort of corporate world into remote work fine, but if you have a very strict corporate culture and there's a lot of trust issues in that culture, or there's a lot of toxicity, or if there's a lot of politics you're always dealing with, coming into a world of remote where you need to be fully transitioned to trusting each other and having empathy for one another and actually knowing that no one's out to actually get you. We're all here just for the sake of making an impact. Because again, that's the beauty of remote work. We strip away everything else. What's left? Impact. That's what we're all here for. And so coming from a strict corporate culture, it's, it's very hard to make that transition for a lot of people. Not impossible, but it's kind of like uh, adopting a dog shelter dog. You're going to have a lot of sort of, it's okay. You can actually execute first and apologize later. That's all right. We're, no one's out to fire you as quickly as possible. We're here to help you make an impact mm. and do the best work of your career. So uh, the last people I would say who struggle are extroverts. It's not to say that it's impossible, uh, but I think Simon Sinek gave the best definition of an extrovert, which is someone who wakes up and needs social interaction to gain energy to get through the day. Whereas an introvert, they start with energy and every social interaction chips away at that energy. And so obviously if you're an introvert, if you're in the right remote work setup, you're not really getting that energy chipped away much. And for an extrovert, again, they have to find those better solutions, things like getting a co-working sponsorship from the company or any sort of, maybe it's traveling the world at, at the same time, whatever it might be that, that helps that extrovert uh, find that energy for themselves to push through each day. Uh, the other is creative people. Uh, I'm definitely more on the creative spectrum myself, and it can be a struggle sometimes to get creative work done. But at the same time, it's really all, that's another thing about remote work. It's all about self-awareness. It's about learning. When you strip away everything, you are forced to learn about yourself and you're forced to learn about what are the things that energize you? What are the things that allow you to do the best work of your career? And so you start to figure out, well, I need to do this at this time of day. And if I'm going to do this task, I need to be at a cafe. And if I'm going to do this, you know, I need to think in the shower for, for 10 minutes or something like that. You start to build so much self-awareness about how you can do the best impact you can do. And so creative people, it can be a struggle at first because you're used to sort of throwing ideas off of other people all day. And you're now more trying to figure out how can I do this more on my own? And it actually makes you a more creative person, which is kind of cool. Final question for you, Ryan, because I think, I mean, I don't need much convincing. I've, I've worked remotely um, for, for about six years now. <laughs> so I I've, I've, was one of the lucky ones that kind of had already sort of at least understood it a little bit more before the start of the pandemic. But for those that are maybe thinking remote work is the absolute worst or it's extremely difficult, whether that's because they've only just started doing it because of the pandemic, or maybe they've never been interested in it or have preconceptions about it in its sort of purest good form <laughs> as opposed to the pandemic form. Tell us why should they reconsider? Give us like the short elevator convincing pitch. Yeah, well, again, let's start by defining the last year as not something anyone ever wants to do ever again. And that's not remote work. And so once we think about that, we start to think of it as, okay, going back to that goal, how can we actually create environments that help people do the best work of their careers to make the best impact they can possibly make? And the beauty of what remote work being more adopted now allows is more options. 
We don't have to say that we have to be fully in the office. Maybe for your culture and your team and the work you're trying to do, that is what's needed. But the point is, for other teams, there's options now. And so, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, if I'm going to do remote work, should we do hybrid? Uh, Should we do fully remote? How do we even get started? Don't even start with trying to choose a model. The goal is to say, what can we do? What can we change? What options do we have available to where we can help each individual get their needs best served so that they can make that impact that they're trying to do? Because the future of work isn't a place that you go. It's a thing you do. It's not hybrid. It's not fully remote. It's not fully in an office. It's not two days a week from home. It's that for each company, for each team, for each individual, there's going to be very unique needs and ways that help you make the best impact. And so start looking at the options of how you can do that. Start learning about what other companies are doing out there, such as ours, to allow that impact to happen. Because again, we've got options now, so we might as well explore them. Amazing, Ryan. Thank you so much for sharing all of your top tips, your expertise, and your very convincing pitch. Hopefully, those that are listening, not necessarily about trying to change tons of minds, but maybe feel that there is a way of making this work once things are not the way they currently are with the pandemic. And there's sort of, I don't want to say light at the end of the tunnel, but there's ways of making remote work a really empowering and amazing thing as opposed to something that that can feel very constricting as it does right now. So uh, Ryan, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Absolutely. It's been great. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Ryan's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, please do take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Dynamics 365 delivers next-generation ERP and CRM business applications, helping employees at every level reason over data, predict trends, and make proactive, more informed decisions. Request a live demo of Dynamics 365 today by following the link in the episode description.